Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. As always, Dan the Beast, alongside with me, is JJ Sins and the DVD Freak. Um, somebody who is absent from our presence here is the Professor Rick Del Santo. But we are here live for another uh, Sunday retro review. And this will be the first episode for the new year of 2021. So, guys, happy new year. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed your holidays. But time to pick up where we left off. So, today, we are going over WCW Greed, which took place March 18th of 2001 in uh, Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida, with the attendance of 5,030 people, which is very, very low. But I'm not surprised, as this was the dying days of ECW. Or, wow, I'm already fucking up. All right, WCW. <laughs> Um, oh boy. God forbid, it's already slash fucking legs here. Um, but yeah, um, this was the end of the road for WCW pay-per-views. Um, after some of the, you know, highest of highs, all sorts of problems that brought things crashing down for WCW. But not only WCW, but two months prior, uh, ECW had, um, unfortunately shut its doors, um, going into bankruptcy. Uh, Paul defecting to the WWF. Um, but yeah, this wasn't a bad pay-per-view. It was still interesting to see, especially with the talent that they had acquired around that time. And some of the guys, um, who were towards the end of the road of their careers, um, some of them in particular, but we're going to get into that. But this was the first and only great show for WCW. And like I said, this was the last WCW pay-per-view of its entire as probably like a week or so later, um, Shane McMahon would be showing up on WCW Nitro, and we would have the infamous Invasion uh, storyline, which necessarily wasn't the best Invasion, but um, it was just shoved down our throats. Let's just put it that way. But guys, um, entirety, like, what did you guys think of this pay-per-view? Well, <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about this pay-per-view that, you know, being it is the final WCW pay-per-view or ECW pay-per-view, according to Dan. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have that expectation that it's just going to be a complete train wreck shit show. And, you know, there are a lot of rumors going around at this time, you know, because they weren't being picked up by Turner uh, it was, I think, announced the day before this event that they weren't being picked up. So talent morale was really low backstage. Everyone was kind of in a, a grumpasaurus mood. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you can definitely see that in the pay-per-view. I personally didn't. It's not like anyone's trying to prove anything. You know, they're out there giving us the show of their lives. But it's definitely not. I don't think you can tell this is the last pay-per-view. It feels like... You know, a semi-above-average WCW pay-per-view, uh, especially for 2000 and 2001. I think this is kind of more on the tolerable end, personally. Yeah, right. I definitely agree with you. I Watching it, I didn't, I couldn't tell on anybody's faces. Nobody sold it, you know, mm -hmm. and I knew. I mean, and, you know, watching this back, just... You, you would think so, you would, I think maybe it might have bothered Shane Helms a little bit, maybe. I don't know, because he did uh, come out in trunks, I know. 
Um, well, he, maybe that has to do with it. Yeah, he was well. He was trying to repackage himself, so it's mm-hmm. like he got this like good start here, and then it's just over. So it kind of sucks for him. Yeah, but uh, watching it, you couldn't tell it was the last. If I was following WCW at the time, I wouldn't have uh, you know thought, oh, you know, this is the last WCW pay per view ever. You know, but I know you know watching that final Nitro that was. <laughs> they didn't even announced it. it was, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, I um, was expecting a lot worse. But yeah, you know, there was a couple times I was dozing off, but it might have just been a little too late for me. But all in all, it wasn't that horrible. Well, I, I think the thing I, I think the thing with WCW was I think there was like a lot of backstage staff who were aware of WCW obviously getting bought out. It just wasn't mentioned to some of the wrestlers. I'm sure some of the you know, wrestlers who were booking some of the show, <laughs> Kevin Nash, um, probably knew about the demise of what was yet to become. But um, obviously, WCW was trying to rebrand itself. Um, this wasn't your ordinary WCW. They had really downgraded when it came to uh, arenas, um, fans, merchandise. Like, everything was on an all-time low. Everything just looked stiff. Like, like, so generic. It didn't look like the ordinary WCW that it was. And uh, two months uh, going into, like, May of 2001, uh, um, there were speculations of WCW relaunching, um, you know, with a brand new look, you know, trying to relaunch the brand, trying to get, you know, refreshed. And you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was supposed to be a Big Bang pay-per-view that was supposed to take place in Las Vegas. Um, unfortunately, Eric Bischoff got that call, like, "All right, you know, we're done. You know, we're done. It's finished." And you know, you know, Rick kind of um, Eric had that misconception, like, "Oh, you know, we're out for the pay-per-view. Like, that's great. Like, no, it's done. Like, you guys are over. Like, WCW is closing its doors." And for some of you guys who are unaware of why we chose this pay-per-view, uh, this year will mark the 20-year anniversary of WCW closing its doors uh, forever, unfortunately. But, you know, we got the uh, we got AEW, which shares some similarities. But um, it, it's good to see that we're not in that dark period of wrestling no more where you can only resurge to one company. Back in the day, it was too. I mean, nobody was really familiar with TNA by 2002, 2003. But by the time 2005, 2006 came around and, um, you know, TNA was starting to heat up a little bit. That's when everybody started making jump. But nowadays, you know, it's a lot more freelance. Everybody can go wherever they want to go. Um, everything in wrestling nowadays basically corrupted by the internet. So everything's not really a secret anymore. Everything's not really a surprise. So wherever you turn up, somebody's going to know about it. So anyway. uh, man, those days, those days were fun watching Raw and Nitro, and you see someone coming on Nitro, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Or you see coming up some someone coming on back on Raw. Oh man, those were those were the days. I do want to go around and ask a question. Would you rather watch WCW in 2000 and 2001 or current day WWE? You know what? It, it, it's tough 
I mean, I rather watch. I actually rather watch this era of WCW only because you know they tend to pick up with storylines and actually give them some pretty decent video packages. Like, hey, we actually give a fuck about our storylines, even though we suck, but we're trying. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I mean, it still wasn't the best at the time, but um, obviously they were trying to refresh the brand and they were starting to acquire a lot of young talents here. Um, one of the guys um, going into this first match that we'll mention in a minute, Jason Jett, um, another guy that they had acquired around this time in 2000, 2001 was AJ Styles. Now, AJ Styles was part of the tag team called um oh boy what was the name of that tag air? team i'm sure you're what was it air or something air something i think it was like air styles air boom and, uh, air, air boom no was it that was a joke <laughs> it had something to do with air I, I, yeah he's correct and uh we'll probably get a lot of heat for the, um, you know, WCW marks out there. But, yep, AJ Styles was a part of the company. He was known as Ace, uh, Air Styles as part of a tag team. Another guy that they had also acquired around that time that they were close to getting a contract signed for was Christopher Daniels. And by the time he had actually come around to signing with the company, I think there was only, like, a week left before WCW closed its doors. So that was pretty much useless in its entirety. But, he would then um, go on to be Curry Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about, talk about spice up your ass. But anyway, um, let's get into this first match here. This was a pretty good opening match, if I'd say for myself. Um, mm -hmm. This was built as an unscheduled match, but we had Jason, Te uh, Jason Jett. Taking on Kiwi. Now, for anybody who wasn't familiar with Jason Jett, he was known as uh, Easy Money in ECW, and he was just with the company two months prior um, to ECW closing its stores. And apparently, he had debuted a few days earlier and already found himself in the pay per view, which is pretty impressive. Um, Kiwi, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just. Don't know what to fucking say about this. I, I don't uh, know. Okay, so I, I, I was watching this, okay? And I see, I've never heard of this guy somehow, ever. And I see him, I see him walking down. I'm like, am I watching the right pay per view? Like, what is this? Like, it looked like a bad, like, homoerotic snuff film star. You might as well just. <laughs> put a pink helmet on him and call him Wee Wee. Like, this was... I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw this guy come down the ramp. Like, I didn't think it was real. I really honestly didn't. I had to check my computer to make sure I was on the right pay-per-view. You know what? I'll, I'll put it this way. He took Doc Brown's great Scott to another level. Look at that fucking... <laughs> Let's just put it down yes. that way. Yes. I agree. I want to yeah. talk about, you know, the athleticism of Easy Money or Jason Jett, however. This guy mm -hmm. was impressive. And I know after WCW was brought out 
I think his contract was picked up, but he wasn't initially recruited to the main roster as he, he was sent to the developmental territory, which I believe it was still Memphis at the time. Um, either Memphis or OVW at the time. It was one of those two promotions. But, boy, you know, like, just some, some, uh, of the, some of the moves he was doing in this match, like the rebound DDT off the uh, apron, um, yes. shades of Matt Hardy there. Like, I already picked that up, like, right away. I was like, oh, this guy's calling him Matt Hardy. No problem. Um, another thing that I liked about this match was, um, oh, boy, what, what the hell was that move that he did? Uh, uh his finisher? Was it his thumb on his no, finisher? It, 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 was, it, it wasn't his finisher, but uh, no, he did a springboard uh, back elbow into a kick up, which he found so much elevation in doing that. I was like, how the fuck did this guy, you know, how can yeah. he? I don't know. He's so a much elevation. I know it's, he has some more insane fucking moves for a guy his size. That's, that's what I have in my notes. Innovative offense. Um, and the power bomb reversal. Did you guys see, remember that when they were yeah. uh, <laughs> reversal? I saw that. A lot of good um sequences. Jeez, I was like, what the hell? Like, I and I knew who Queeby was. Unfortunately, <laughs> I would say fortunately because I remember when I was saw my first saw Queeby, I was like, what the hell is this? But I love it because it's different. And he's loud, and he's uh, with his loud outfits and his hair, and he's effeminate. Uh, for some reason, I like Quigley. I don't know why, but at the same time, I was not. This is when I was, at this time, when this pay-per-view actually came out, I wasn't watching wrestling at all. But I do remember seeing Quigley, I don't know, maybe a year prior, maybe two years prior. I, I can't, I don't know, when did Quigley start in WCW? Uh, now, but, but you know something? Now that I recall... I believe Wee Wee was Lodi, part of a flock. Yeah, you're right. Yes, yes. That's that's when. Okay, so yes. Okay, so um, and I was all over the flock in '97. I believe was when Raven came in, or was in '98? '97. Yes, '97. So okay, and I remember when uh, watching that Raven's last EC ECW match. Uh, it was against Terry Funk. All right, it was who he dropped the belt to, and then it was uh, a, yes, it was, yeah, yes, it was a triple threat, it was a triple threat match at Beerly Legal. Uh, Terry Punk ended up winning the number one contenders match and facing Raven later on that night to win the championship. And I, I remember seeing Raven on WCW TV on Thunder, I believe, was when he debuted on uh, and being all over it. And then, yes, you are right, Queeby was um. Holy shit, you are right. Quigley was Lodi from the flock, and Lodi always held up the signs. Um, <laughs> a lot of funny uh, things about those signs, if you listen to the Raven podcast. We uh, should we yeah, should really yeah. have a, a Quigley count. A Quigley count? Yeah, in the corner. <laughs> Someone edit that in. How many times we said Quigley tonight? Quigley. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Quigley was I can't Lodi. believe we're still Lodi. talking about this, man. <laughs> but, but you know something? Something that I did like about this match, I, I liked how they lifted. You, you guys were talking, um, you know, JJ, you were talking about ECW. Uh, I like the fact that they lifted the classic uh, Easy Money Kid Cash uh, Super Rana spot, even though it wasn't clean. But yes. I mean, it, it still prevailed. Um, Jason Jett did score with the win with the X Plex. 
Yeah. Um, this match was almost 13 minutes, but they did get a lot of time and did well with it. So I would consider this a pretty good opening match for WCW. Probably one of the best opening matches for WCW, as far as I recall. I mean, I, I tend to go back once in a while and go to old Nitro episodes, Thunder episodes, some old school pay-per-views. But when it comes to uh, the modern wrestling at that time for WCW, especially during its down period for 2001, um, that was a good match. And I like how the crowd was very invested and they showed off some of their great offense. Um, Jet seemed like a miscast as a face, though. Um I wasn't. I, I, I really don't know what the hell was up with those tights. I mean, everybody's tights in this match were like, <laughs> you know. But it was two thousand. <laughs> it was the millennium start better, of it. The beginning of it. It's better than Ray's furry pants later on. <laughs> which, yeah, which were that's actually going to be the next match. Um, this kind of baffles me as much as. WCW was fully aware of knowing it's going to shut down within like a week or so. They had a WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Tournament Finals match to determine who would become the first ever WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. Uh, we had Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. with the furry pants uh, versus Primetime Felix Skipper and Kid Romeo, which first of all... Yeah. I never heard of Kid Romeo. Uh, Elix Skipper. I love uh, Obviously, Elix Skipper is very um, not uh, synonymous. Fuck that word. Synonymous. Syn yes, I was gonna, I was going to say anonymous for some reason. Synonymous for the uh, the top rope, uh, the top cage uh, yeah. spot with uh, AMW. So I saw that happen. Um, you know, like I said, it, it baffles me that they would introduce these belts at such a low point in WCW's um, lifespan. So, what was the point of even bringing up these belts? Denial. <laughs> Honestly, like... Probably that, yeah, denial. Um, I mean, how... Well, here's the other thing. How long was this tournament going on before this? That's a good question. Because they um, might not, have, they might not have known, and they're not—they're not just gonna—they're not gonna just stop a tournament. So they're like, "Well, we might as well just ride it out, see what happens." By for some reason, if we get picked up by someone else, we can continue these titles. And I'm not a big fan of um, tag belts for divisions, but you know, this was a good match, and it could have been a really good idea. In long term, to have cruiserweight tag team belts because they had the best cruiserweight division. Yeah, um, and, and you really got to think about it too. WCW really started to acquire cruiserweights uh, by '95, '96. Obviously, the the first inquirers were guys like Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and then it just expanded. And then it just expanded over a course of time. As Eric was picking up guys from ECW like Psychosis, Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrera, and then it basically, this is where wrestling went. This match, this tag match, you watch this tag match. This is, I look at it as that's, you know, where wrestling is. Look where we're at now with the, the matches that we're, we watch. 
the matches that are raw and everything. Like this is that was the future right here. That yeah, that was, it was like a precursor to what we yes. were going to see. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? These teams did come out um, with a lot of idea of stealing the show with tons of like high spots. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know what? I really enjoyed this match. Um, Romeo ended up uh, catching Rey Mysterio's uh, moonsault, uh, hitting him with the last kiss finisher to become the first uh, tag team champions. Now, this one I was surprised at because I was expecting Mysterio and Kidman to pick up the win here, but for Skipper and Romeo, um, what was very weird at the time, Ilk Skipper was part of the tag team, um, WCW's version of Team Canada. And then you had a guy, um, Kid Romeo, who I'm not really familiar with at the time, but um, I tell you what, when it comes to this match, this was probably the last great WCW match. Um, it was spotty, but a ton of fun. Um, it's the kind of match that feels like a blueprint for a lot of indie tag teams today. I feel like we wouldn't get the wrestling styles of today if it wasn't for, um, you know, like the late WCW days, WWF attitude era, and so on. I think this basically revolutionized the indie scene. You know, within like a year, you know, like within a year, we would get Ring of Honor, we would get TNA Wrestling, and um, the rest is pretty much history. Um, we would unfortunately go through that dark phase of history um, when it comes to um, wrestling promotions, um, as there wasn't a lot of territories to go to by this point after WCW closed. But yeah, this was great stuff, and um, I didn't really like. You know, it was kind of awkward after the match. They were kind of doing, like, this awkward dance party of sorts. And uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think they were just, like, trying too hard. Like, oh, yeah, let's just dance. Like, knowing, like, oh, this is the end, you know? Yeah, I didn't get that either. But I totally uh, dug Romeo, Kid Romeo's arrogance. It was believable. Uh, I'll, you know, watching Kid Romeo on the screen, I hated him. Like, I legit did not like the guy. I, didn't, I never even seen this match before watching it i'm like oh man guy's a fucking douchebag but that's he was a heel that's what he's supposed to do the arrogance was believable and the sequences were fun like you said very very spotty but oh not a pretty good not not a bad match that what was it kidman kazi that um kidman when kidman hit that off the um, he did it, it was well it was a shooting star but it wasn't on the turnbuckle he did it off the rope yeah, I don't know if any of you's caught that. that yeah, was, he he did that. Yeah. He did that was yeah. like one of his signatures. All right, a yeah. few th a few. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, please oh, right. go. A few things here. First of all, do you hate him more than Lil Romeo? <laughs> I don't know who uh, Lil Romeo. Is. You don't remember Lil Romeo, Masterpiece um, son? Come on. Okay, anyway. okay, okay. Um, yes, I do hate Kid Romeo more than hate okay. more than Lil. I don't. Okay, no, 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 no. You know what? Let's put it this way. Do you like this Romeo, or do you like Romeo from the Heartthrobs tag team of Romeo and Antonio? Oh, boy. If anybody, rem if anybody remembers that. Heartthrobs. Why does a heartthrob sound familiar? Uh, uh, no, don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, that, I okay, mean, so that's, 
that discussion. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love Romeo and Juliet. It's a great, it's a great play, right? I love that. It is, but um, yeah. Well, I'm talking about the play. I'm not talking about the fucking shit film well, that we got. Pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> all right, but uh, I think uh, I don't know where I read this. It might have been his book, but Ray Mysterio said that his favorite person he ever teamed with was Billy Kidman, and we would see them team later on in the E. I think in like what was it like two thousand three or four or something like that yeah. they would team together like Vengeance they had a match or something really so I always thought they had good chemistry and it's surprising like he wouldn't say like oh Eddie or you know someone else like he legit said that was his favorite person he ever teamed with he um, said they had great chemistry which I do agree with <laughs> and seeing every time I see Rey Mysterio wrestling unmasked in WCW. It hurts me. It the way I don't want to turn this into a rant video, but the way he was unmasked still bothers me to this day. It was just yeah. such shit. And like watching this match, I couldn't help but just get pissed off. Like he should not be unmasked. And it's just like the disrespectful way um, Eric wanted it done. And you know, it's just it it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I guess that's the way that's the way to put it. What the mask means to you in Lucha Libre? Yeah, like, and and it's that, like, yeah, and yeah. Obviously, he yeah. never took it off since wrestling, but it's still there. Like that still exists. Like, so it just sucks. Now, yeah. you know, it, it kind of questions me, like how it led to him regaining the mask in WWE. Because obviously, when you lose your mask, that's more of like a lucha tradition. Like once you lose your mask, like you. Know, no, you yeah. have to be unmasked for the rest of your career. You can never be masked again. But uh, obviously, it's, we, it's different. It's well, we were in the states. It's different. But in WWF, they were smarter. But you know, obviously, WWE, well, obviously, WWE. They, yeah, obviously, it was investment. It was a way to draw money. It was a way to get you know the people going. And the way you know, Mysterio was always color coordinated. You know, that was a money draw. Everybody wanted to see like a modern day superhero in WWE, and that was Rey Mysterio at that time. So, well, Vince likes to create his own continuity anyway. So, in his mind, it never happened. Honestly, <laughs> honestly like that's yeah. he's like, oh, who's going to remember that? And that was so many odd years ago. So, you know, yeah. and he, yeah, he's just got a point. Like, no. Ray losing his mask, and I hated it, but. I also do forget for a little bit. He lost his mask in WCW. Yeah, I did like the devil horns. That was I did like that. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, looking back at it, devil horns. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, going into the next match here. Um, <laughs> you know, shake my head. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Sean Stasiak. Uh, uh Wait, uh, wait, space if you ask me. Yeah. Big wait. Yeah. You know, you had Stacy and Stasiak who, you know, they obviously got some uh, promo time and they tried to put over the whole uh, Sean and Stacy show. And uh, you had Bigelow in this match who was mostly in control. Um, you know, with this match, it's a major drop off after the first two matches. And you know, Stasiak, to me, you know, I always thought, you know, he sucked. He was like, he was a low ball. Like, what was the point of him 
yeah, I don't know. Just it, it really baffles yeah. me. I mean, Stasiak is a second generation superstar. Um, his father, former WWF champion. Um, you know, I, I just wasn't a big fan of Stasiak, and, and obviously when they brought him back into WWE, um, you know, they, they gave him the gimmick where it's like every time he would run in, he would get thrown out the ring immediately. And then 2002 would come along and here he is teaming up with Brock Lesnar, um, hailing from planet Stasiak. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, did we forget to mention the dusty roads, 200 some burrito thing? Oh yeah, did, did, oh. did we did we skip that? That needs to be mentioned. That needs that is so. the greatest thing I've ever seen. We did skip. Um, that. actually, no. That's that, that's actually going to be a little bit later on. I do. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, you know, I thought this match was you know a major drop off after the first two matches, and yeah. I think Bigelow was beyond caring by this point. I mean, it was a boring match. With cheap overused tricks, um, Bigelow at this time, I think he was really starting to wind down. Um, I know he was going through some financial issues by this point, drug use. Um, he definitely wasn't in the best of shape. So for WWE not to pick him up after WCW closed down, I you know I kind of look at that as a positive, but. I definitely wouldn't mind seeing. I, I wouldn't have mind seeing one more run with Bam Bam in WWF, but in the hardcore division. Well, I, I think he they could have at least found something for him to do. Um, yeah. He doesn't have to be in the ring. Put him on payroll. Take care of him. Thank you. Thank you. Like I know Vince doesn't do that now, but um, there's so many guys. I just wish that. Just put them on payroll for fuck's sake. You know they put their bodies in the ring. They left so much of it in there. And Bam Bam Bigelow, I think, is a very unfortunate case. I really wish um, something, just to leave a bigger legacy in WWE's name, at least. Um, of course, you know, the thing he's known for the most is WrestleMania 11. That's sad. Yeah, that so, it's just like, I, I just wish they would have put out a DVD for him, at least, or thrown him in the Vince's Hall of Fame. So... Yeah, it sucks seeing Bam Bam Bigelow in this shape and just knowing it would just go downhill from there. Man, I definitely agree. Just yeah, I was expecting more because I Bam Bam, but I didn't know how bad Bam Bam was at one in in one. I didn't know. Didn't and like you said, this match was yeah, was a dud. Uh, but yeah, it would have been nice to have seen Bam Bam have a nice last run. You know. Putting over a new talent, whatever. Working yeah. with him, whatever, whatever. But yeah, it, and I never saw. I remember Stacy Keebler. Uh, all I saw her was just dancing on a table, and she wasn't even dancing. She was just gyrating her hips. She had no rhythm at all, and I never saw her with a microphone talk. And when I was watching the, they did a little package before this match started, I, I believe, and I saw her talking. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, since when does Stacey Peter have a microphone in A shot. That's what I have in my notes. But, um, yeah, I just wish there was better for Bam Bam. That's all. I was never a fan of Sean Stasiak. I don't know if you guys were. Was anyone? Thank you. Uh, exactly. So, moving on to the next match. <laughs> 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 right. Going um, in to the next match here, 
Um, very odd pairing. Um, I, I know they were somewhat relevant together a couple years back in uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Kevin Sullivan's uh, stable. Um, oh man, I, I'm just having a brain fart right now. What was what was the name of that group? It was oh, the Kevin Sullivan and had hmm? Dungeon of Doom. Dungeon of Doom, yes. So we had Hugh Morris and Conan. Uh, taking on Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. First of all, I like this pairing of Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Secondly, I thought they deserved a lot better than this. Um, obviously, they were part of this WCW um, Team Canada of some sort. Um, the Canadian National Anthem wasn't played. And, you know, you got more charging down to the ring and you know, all melees, you know, breaking loose, but, oh my gosh, uh, you know, crazy, you know, Morris eventually did get the tag and went in for the moonsault, that didn't really go so well, he was cut off and, you know, beaten by an awesome bomb, uh, this match was a little bit over 10 minutes, um, it was a bit long, decent enough, uh, Storm and Awesome were a little bit of a good, solid team. I mean, they did have a brief tag team run in WWF as well um, during the Invasion storyline. I believe they tag teamed with each other during uh, the Invasion pay-per-view, if I'm not mistaken. Um, other than that, I, I thought these guys deserved a lot better. I think after ECW closed, I think WWF should have, you know, picked them up right away. Like immediately, I've there's nothing more that I could say about Mike Awesome that I haven't said before. Yeah. Um, he is one of my favorite ECW guys, probably like number two behind Sandman, of course. And um, yeah, I feel like this match was like supposed to be six minutes, and it was already paced to be that way. So they're like, "Oh, let's just add four minutes on, just randomly." Like, I, it just felt like it was, like you said, it was long, but it wasn't paced to be long, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But, man, damn, Mike Awesome looked great. Looked in great shape. Like you said, I'm, I agree with you, Freak. I love Mike Awesome. Um, that, that Awesome bomb at the end looked sick as fuck. That just looked like, that looked like it hurt. I felt that. But, uh. Like you said, it should have been shorter, but I liked it for what it was. And seeing Lance Storm and Mike Austin, that's, yeah, I never knew they tag teams. I was, and, when I saw that, I was going on, I was like, holy shit. And, you know, to think that, you know, WCW didn't capitalize on having Mike Awesome pushed as, like, a main event superstar. Now, here's yeah. a guy who basically transitioned from ECW to WCW while he was still ECW champion at that time. He had to drop the belt to a WWE guy, former ECW employee Taz, in the ECW arena. That was, you know, pretty much self-explanatory itself. But do you think WCW should have capitalized off of that storyline and make Mike Awesome, you know, a main eventer by that point instead of giving him the whole... 70s gimmick, you know, he was known as, like, the 70s guy, Mike Awesome. Uh, um, I believe he had, like, another Monic under his name, but then after that, he ended up joining forces with Lance Storm and being part of this, 
WCW version of Team Canada, along with like Elix Skipper. I believe Jim Duggan was also part of the group as well, because I think it was at a point Jim Duggan had just clean shaved. So that was a little bit awkward in itself. Um, yeah. What, what, what do you guys think of Mike, Mike Awesome? Like, do you think WCW really should have capitalized on him being pushed to the main event? Yeah. Completely. That's yeah. What I, that's what I expected. He, it's so overlooked that moment where he came as champion. Like, why does no one talk about that? I remember that, and I expected Mike Austin to be in the main event scene. Um, I wasn't always watching Nitro at this time, but I do. I was aware enough. Like, wait a minute, he was ECW champion. Now he's on WCW television. I wasn't, you know, uh, I expected Mike Austin to be at least. To contend for the for the WCW heavyweight title, and that just never happened. He was given. Now, here's my second. Now, here's my second question. Obviously, Mike Awesome would go ahead and jump to the WWE. He was only there for about a year before getting injured and then being released by 2002. When he he came back for one night stand in 2005, do you think that could have been Mike Awesome's second? opportunity in WWE and WWE practically realizing like hey you know we dropped the ball on this guy like let's pick him up again well here's the thing he had a lot of demons at that time he wasn't in the greatest shape in the world so I feel like maybe if he I don't know maybe if he was more Vince's body type you know maybe he could have had that second run but I just don't think he would ever be a Vince guy, though. I, I just, no matter what, I just don't see him fitting in with the WWE roster, and that's a compliment to him. I yeah. just don't. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't think he would have fit in. And unfortunately, Mike Awesome is no longer with us, as he did pass away in February of two thousand seven. Uh, after being found, and I believe he was in Stevie Richards home um he unfortunately hung himself um yeah you know, very sad like, story yeah. unfortunate circumstance um i'm hoping high spots if you guys can hear me if you guys can make a uh mike awesome documentary that'd be really nice so going into several back you know Backstage segments, several. <laughs> they they just uh, ran these back to back to back. But yeah, oh, start no. off with Dusty Rhodes eating burritos. <laughs> I love how like he's like all oh, these are these are two hundred some burritos, and there's just like a little plate of burritos. Like it's not it's nowhere near fucking two hundred. It's like twelve. <laughs> and then Dustin's in the corner, like about to throw up at the thought yeah. of it. Like, they're just fucking burritos. Relax. I've like, ooh, burritos. Give me, give me, give me. Why is he grossed out by them? Yeah, let's just <laughs> shit on them together. <laughs> and oh, I heard Dust, Dust, Dusty was like, ooh, I'm going to fill it in my saddlebags later. Did you, any of you guys hear that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they could have uh, just, just done, like, a father-son rusty trombone in the middle of the ring or something. Jesus. <laughs> Oh shit! A lot of cuts to backstage. That's how they were doing things in WCW. Yeah, 
uh, I don't, whatever, whatever floats your boat. And I noticed a lot of uh, crotch shots in this show as well. What happened to the, to the rules? Were there not rules in WCW at this time? It was over. I, I don't know if you recall, JJ, but like if you ever watched uh, Halloween Havoc 98 in its entirety, there's several matches where a lot of sure. low blows, cheap shots, and it's like referees don't even call anything. I Yeah, I've, I've watched, I remember, well, Halloween Havoc 98, uh, what was that, Hulk versus Sting? Was, no, that was... That was a warrior in uh, Hogan, and then you had DDP and oh. Goldberg that never aired. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I watched that as it happened because I was about fourteen. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. Like them, yeah, I don't remember that shit. But I probably didn't pay attention because I was yeah, so young. Hey, you want to, you want to castrate somebody in the middle of the ring? Go ahead. All better yeah. off. But if you hit I'm, a referee, that's 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 a no go right there. You know. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to piss Nick Patrick off. But um, That's anyway, a scary, mother, a scary motherfucker right there. <laughs> hey, he was the official NWO referee, so I definitely want to fuck with him. Um, <laughs> going into the cruiserweight championship match, uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr. taking on Shane Helms, and kind of cool having Helms coming out, um, having his entrance with his own cheerleaders. You know, kind of cool. You know, I, I think that's where the whole uh, sugar nickname probably came to uh, transpire. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I think they told a good story, and you know, that felt different from a lot of cruiserweight matches. Um, Helms was getting taught a lesson at times, but he preserved and Travel made a key mistake, and you know, the title changed hands. And I enjoyed Shane Helms. Um, I've always enjoyed Shane Helms as a cruiserweight. I think he was probably one of my favorite cruiserweights of all time back in 2006. Um, longest training cruiserweight champion, I believe, at that time. But, yeah. And then once, you know, the vertebraker, that's a deadly move. I don't see a, I don't see that move performed as much often nowadays. I've seen it from Helms. I used to see it from Homicide uh, back in, like, ROH, TNA. Nowadays, you really don't see that move. You know, prevail a lot nowadays. It's a good um, thing. Yeah, that's and, a very move. And that segues us into our sponsor, RF Video, the Shane Helms official shoot interview, sent to me by none other than Dan the Beast. What are you doing? Watch, <laughs> watch the shoot interview. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I, I've always appreciated Shane Helms from an underdog level. Um. By the time he got picked up by WWE, he didn't start off as a hurricane at first. Um, I remember a SmackDown episode uh, when WCW was taking over SmackDown. Um, when WCW used to do the one hours, they used to split the times. WWF would have one hour, and then WCW had the other hour, and then you would go to Scott Hudson, fucking Arn Anderson on commentary, which was very awkward. Because <laughs> I don't really think Arn Anderson was made for commentary. I think he was just made for this... You know, given spine busters out of nowhere whenever he had the opportunity at most. Um, but yeah, uh, I believe he only made like a couple appearances as Sugar Shane Helms um, in WWE before uh, they did the whole invasion storyline. And uh, it was something with Stone Cold involved. And Stone Cold basically just gave him like the cape. 
the mask. I, I think it was a segment backstage where he was like, oh, is that a Green Lantern tattoo? And he was like, oh, yeah. He, he was like, oh, you're a superhero? You, gotta, you know, and basically that's where the whole Hurricane persona came to be. So. Yeah, I uh, I love uh, Helms. Uh, I I prefer his uh, cruiserweight title run in WWE, which is like two thousand five and six. He held what he held for like a year, something like that. Yeah, he. Um, it was during Royal Rumble two thousand six. Uh, SmackDown had a cruiserweight, um, kind of like an invitational match, but it involved. Um, Guys who were already cruiserweight champions at that time, but Henry yeah. Helms was the only guy from Raw, so he basically just made his way into this match. So, and ended up winning and uh, transitioning over to uh, the SmackDown brand, and which, like you know, like I said, he was the longest reigning SmackDown uh, cruiserweight champion from Royal Rumble up until whenever the hell he lost it in two thousand seven. Um, Oh, God, you know what? Now that I recall, wasn't the last uh, Cruiserweight champion Hornswoggle? Yeah, he beat Chavo at Great American Bash 2007. And then they just kind of dissolved the title after that. Okay. All right, so um, getting into another backstage segment here. yeah, Rick Flair, you know, he bragged about being in better shape than Dusty Rhodes. Well, you could definitely tell after the burrito segment. Huh? Yeah, no shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then you got Booker T cutting a promo about coming for the U.S. championship. And this is where he used that terrible fucking line. He's like, oh, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> Which, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. If, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. If that was a shot to WWF at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, oh well, that's we'll you. Be, You're we'll right. Be, we'll be seeing shot. him in the. We'll be seeing him in the Rumble this year. I guarantee it. You uh, think so? Yeah. Booker T in the Rumble. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, I know you hate Booker T. Yeah, I, I don't trust me. I hate the player. No, um, and I, was, I always liked Booker T as when I was a kid uh, when he was in Harlem Heat. But um, as far as a is that's a shot at Triple H? I never looked at it like that, Dan. But to be honest with you, there was douchebags I was around, and you know, that were saying that. Oh, don't hate the player. Hate the game. Yeah, and I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ! I, I would, I would so, say it was a shot at Triple H. I think it's a little the way they look. Yeah, the way they did it. Yeah, I think it's a little out there. But he had a lot of, he was saying a lot of, I noticed that, that promo, he was just using a lot of stupid mottos and sayings. And, well, it's better than what he said about Hulk Hogan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, lo- I love you for that. He, he, <laughs> he called him a nice guy. Yes, he did. Uh, the next match, are we on in the next match? It was a totally buff with uh, Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. Honestly, honestly, I, I wouldn't even call this match a fucking contest. Yeah, was it? Yeah, uh, it was a fucking squash. But the reason why it was a squash is because Buff and Lex threw a temper tantrum backstage. Yeah, yeah. that is true. From the Nitro book. A little, and, a little research. Mm-hmm. And did you notice how they're just laying in the ring for the longest time? And he's sell, <laughs> um, he's sewn his neck. Like it, it's just, 
That's what a fun. bunch of babies. That's shitty because I was watching this when my first, you know, I watched, I watched this uh, pretty, you know, when you told me, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to cover this. I watched it right away. Then I did more research. And, uh, yeah, dude, like, I, I didn't realize that they were basically shitting on on the Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. I didn't know that. My, my, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're putting over the new guys. Fucking awesome. How cool is <laughs> No. <Nope. But> <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, fucking assholes. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, it, it, it looked like uh, Lex Luger needed a wheelchair at that point, but um, we're not going to yeah. get into that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's get yeah. into uh, the next match here. Uh, we have the cat, the cat Ernest Miller taking on Chris Canyon. Um, you know he had a uh, spent week stalking Miss Jones um, setting this up who was managing the cat at this point um, yeah I think I don't know this match just kept on going and going you know kick after fucking kick and then Canyon tried to use his cast as a weapon trying to go with the old Bob Orton fucking senior, uh, Bob Orton you know signature there um, you know pretty lackluster effort from Canyon in, and you know, way too much overbooking. I think killed this. Yeah, this could have been the dark match. This was just this is, a, this is a real not not that the show was really good or anything, but this was a real show killer. Yeah, and it's just like uh, it was hard to pay attention. I was on my phone doing other shit. Like, yeah. I just look over. I'm like, is it over yet? No, all right. And did uh, anybody see that spot where Canyon tried to use like a lazy roll up with his feet, and it seemed like he went, but the referee waved it off? I didn't catch that. Oh my gosh! I dozed off and like tried watch. Is to me, I expected more because I was all I was always a Canyon fan, even as Mortis, I was always a fan, and ugh, I was like, oh shit, this is yeah, stunk up the joint. Oh. Whatever. Uh, and, then, and then after yeah. that, we had, um, you know, Canyon attack the cat after the match until um, M.I. Oh, cool. Smooth, um, also known as Ice Train, made the save. Um, no, he didn't have his awesome Ice Train music. Um, I liked Ice Train back in, like, the mid-90s, but I, 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 I didn't think he was still around WCW at this point. I don't think he was still relevant. Same here. I same here. I remember him on WCW Saturday nights when I was a kid. And then I uh I guess he did a lot of shit overseas or something down or down south, I forget. And I remember listening to a podcast with I forgot what podcast Ice Stream was on. And uh he said he did a after WCW closed, they were on some huge tour in Germany, I believe, or in Europe. And it went on for a while, and he said it was a blast. That's yeah. That's all I know about Ice Train. And, you know, looking back at Ice Train, I, I remember him during like the mid nineties. Um, I remember him being managed by a very overweight Teddy Long. I'm not sure if you remember that JJ, but this was like around the time Teddy gained a massive amount of weight. He was like, <laughs> plus, he, he was plus size. It was like. Really? How did, like he was so big, and I think that's where it came to effect why he, 
he decided to do refereeing again. I think he tried to do, you know, be a senior official again, but this time for WWF just to manage his weight loss. Um, well, like I, don't I, I remember I used to train during like the mid 90s. I remember him teaming up with Scott Norton um, yes. as Fire and Ice. Yep. Um, which was a pretty interesting tag team. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that combination. Um, obviously, that didn't go well. Um, it didn't really last long, unfortunately. Um, Scott Norton was basically under t- contract where he was obligated to either wrestle for WCW and uh, New Japan. Um, very successful in New Japan, Scott Norton was. Former IWGP heavyweight champion. Um, very underrated talent in my understanding. I agree. I, I, I agree. And I totally remember Fire Nights watching their uh, matches on uh, WCW Saturday night. Oh, wow. And my father was being like, man, them motherfuckers are big. You know, they can move. And I was uh, maybe like nine or ten. And yeah. Good times, man. Miss W. You know, I'm watching WCW Saturday night tonight before I go to bed. Uh, good times. Good fucking times. Uh, yeah. Are you ready to move on to the next match? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Steiner? Uh, yes. All right. Well, uh, United States. Uh, I, I'm going to head out. <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> All right. So, WCW United States Championship match. Rick Steiner, who is the champion, um, taking on Booker T. Um, one thing from watching this, I wish early 90s Rick Steiner would have gotten this type of push that the late 90s, early 2000s Rick Steiner got. Because by the time this period came around for Rick, um, it was more reflected on his brother, Scott. Um, obviously, Rick was more of like the higher mid-card, lower tag team division, um, as Scott was basically transcending um, into the uh, main event scene. He was world heavyweight champion um, during this period. Um, Yeah, but here he is. He's all washed up and beyond caring. Uh, Lots of brawling going around in the ring. Lots of rest holds. You know, you got Booker T coming out with the don't hate the player, hate the game bullshit. And, you know, oh, my God. Yeah, mm-hmm. ref bumps. You know, it's WCW 2000 all over again. You know, I, I think this was like around the time uh, there was like two factions, like two divided factions. It was like the Millionaires Club, and then um, the, new, the, the new the new breed or something like that, or new blood. I think this was before. I know, right at this time, there was the Magnificent Seven. You know what? Yeah. That was this was after this was after New Blood after. and um, Millionaires yeah. Club. This was um, Magnificent Seven because uh, Shane Douglas comes out of nowhere. Yes, and, yeah. You know, Wax Rick with his cast, and then you got Booker T hitting the bookend. Which um, I'm kind of surprised. I didn't think Booker was using the bookend at this time. I thought he picked that up during his rivalry with The Rock. No, Booker T always did the bookend. Huh? Well, he actually, he actually came out. I read an interview today with Booker T saying that The Rock stole his finisher and all his catchphrases and stuff. And 
Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it wouldn't. And it wouldn't be an episode of Pro Wrestling Zone podcast without me throwing shade at the Rock. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, bookend came first. Yeah, bookend came first, man. And again, why? Why uh, that? And I think in the, for this match, I think Booker T gave too much to Rick Steiner, which didn't need to happen. And I think seriously, Shane had to physically get involved and 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 hit Rick for the win. He couldn't. You didn't want to put Booker T over, you know, with a, with a clean win, you know. I don't know. That's the way I look. I look at it because, like you said, Rick Steiner looked very out of shape. And this is no shade at Rick Steiner because I was always a Steiner Brothers fan. But watching this, like, really, you couldn't put Booker T over. One worth it. That's the way I look at it. But yeah, yeah and you know, th- th- I'm glad this match was relatively short for what it was. I mean, this was only about seven, eight minutes. Um. Tried, but uh, you know, Rick wasn't interested in doing anything to put him over. But at least, like I said, it was relatively short. So, and that was the end of Rick Steiner's um, big push, and we would never see Rick again. <laughs> well, till t- till TNA. But, yeah, um, going into the next match, this match can kiss my ass because it's a kiss my ass match. Um, oh. We have Dustin. You have Dustin and Dusty Rhodes taking on Jeff Jarrett and Ric Flair. Let me tell you something. Ric Flair, he, he looks like he's already ready for vacation. He's already ready to leave. <laughs> All right. I'm ready, to book my, ready to book my plane, go down to Panama Beach, get all the bitches, take off my robe, and, you know, just walk around with my robe all day while drinking Moscato or champagne or something. Hey, no, but, no, no Moscato. Maybe he can, go no. hang out with, he can go hang out with Creeley. <laughs> pull out your pull out your wee wee with Cree wee. <laughs> All right, is anybody keeping count? What number is that? Like forty-seven. I don't know. <laughs> Someone edit anyway. an account for fuck's sake. We have to at this point. Rick, edit an account, please. Even when we're not talking about WCW, we should have a Cree wee count down below. <laughs> oh gosh. So. Obviously, the stipulation for this match, the loser must kiss the winner's ass. And this was definitely a weird time period because here you have the late Road Warrior Animal coming out with Jarrett and Flair. Hold on, JJ's getting his cocaine out. Oh, no, I'm not getting (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of weird seeing just animal at this point. Um, I think Hawk was going through a lot of substance abuse at the time. And I believe it was around 2001 where, um, you know, basically Hawk, you know, got his life back together. Um, and then it wouldn't be long until Hawk passed away from natural causes. Um, but yeah, this was weird. And, you know, I think this is like the only time I've, ever seen Ric Flair wrestle without tights. Well, it's just, it's almost like they looked at Animal and catering. They're like, hey, you want to be in a match? He's like, I don't have my gear. Dude, fuck it. Just go in there. <laughs> You're good, man. Uh, eating, a bowl of, <laughs> eating a bowl of chili. Well, if Flair was dressed like uh, he was on vacation in uh, the Tommy Bahama shirts, because he apparently he said he was out of shape. Flair admitted 
at that time he was out of shape and uh if you pay attention to the last episode of nitro flair also wore a shirt yeah and the very and he admitted that he wasn't in shape unfortunately that happens he wasn't uh you know yeah so that's why he was uh wearing he was wearing you know that night well, well this night uh yeah this match was just insane uh yeah I don't know what to say about it. But that's why Flair was wearing, uh, wasn't in ring gear. Uh, but I never saw, like, you're right, I never saw Flair wrestle in, uh, in like that before. Were there other matches? But, but you know what? I, I like the fact that the crowd was roaring after Dusty yes. got the hot tag. I, you know, I thought that was pretty unique, you know, pretty uh, uh, awesome moment there. You know, people still supporting old school wrestling. Um, even though this isn't the best of times to be bringing in like 40, 50 year old guys who are out of shape, but you know, the, the, the crowd was heavily invested in seeing Flair and Dusty going at it for at least one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Dustin beat Flair with an ugly roll up. Uh, this match was about 10 minutes. Uh, good old, I, I guess this was pretty fashionable fun in some cases. Um, Jared and Dustin were fine while Dusty and Flair did well with their little bit of work. Um, but I think the crowd ate this up, uh, to a full extent. But like I said, you know, just seeing Flair out there with a Hawaiian t-shirt and, you know, the early 2000s haircut looking like he's ready to go, you know, for, you know, audition for the offspring or something. Um, dude, the, the second. He went. He hit the locker room. He's like, "All right, see ya <laughs> on the plane to Florida." <laughs> you said, "Go play to." I'll go see the offspring. <laughs> Is that what you said, Dan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think around this time, I had short, spiky, jet black hair. I had uh, uh, hair was I, like I, black. either that, either that, or his son David was getting into his ear, but we'll never know. Um. That's uh, just the look we were. That was style at the time, man. That was the the style. Yeah. And then after the match, you got Dusty hitting a stink face. Uh, after the after the after burritos. burritos. Oh, Dude, God. he, he should have put the burritos in his pants and then done the stink face. Ah, I like that. How many did he eat supposedly? Oh, two hundred. Some I don't two hundred and forty. I heard. Yeah, and then he confirmed he's finished with them. He ate all two hundred and forty. <laughs> <laughs> and Dustin's like, "Oh, you sick pig! <laughs> We're gonna throw up." Ate two hundred and forty, and then managed to go out, and put on a match. And you're right, the crowd's reaction to Dusty and Flair that was pretty rowdy because they didn't have to do much, and the crowd was just eating it up. So yeah. I hope the hotel had a plunger that night. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> you hope the hotel had a plunger that night. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he was he was the son of a plumber, so I'm pretty sure he had one of those. Dude, that dude, it made yeah. full circle storytelling continuity. Yeah. See, there we go. I, I just said you just made a bunch of jokes right there, like. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a stink of the night. We're going to get funky like a monkey. And, uh, and didn't show Jeff Jarrett coming out in a fat suit 
with the bucket of chicken in the pre-package. I want to say that they showed Jeff Jarrett come out. He did a pro in a pre-package. Did you not remember that? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh, Jeff Jarrett doing a uh, Dusty Rhodes impression. However, I did love uh, when they showed it was Ric Flair in a fat suit dressed as Dusty wrestling and selling like Dusty. That was kind of cool in those packages. Yeah. And you know what? I think this was pretty cool, too, because I think this was, like, right around the time Dusty was, you know, making his final roundups um, as, like, an in-ring competitor. Uh, um, obviously, the year prior, he had made a couple appearances for ECW. Um, had a nice, brief rivalry with Steve Carino, uh, especially with the bull rope match. Um, he would end up returning to WCW later on in the 2000s. Um, and, obviously, he would rekindle his relationship with his son Dustin so that was very um, heartfelt and that was pretty much it I mean I think Dusty had like one or two matches like later on in his career I think he had a match with Randy Orton at one of the Great American Bash pay-per-views uh, if I recall wow um, which I think it was another bull rope match yeah 2007 that's the second time we've referenced that pay-per-view tonight that's a sign we should review it Oh man! Well, that's actually not uh, a bad pay per view. That was the first pay per view after Benoit, so I mean, it did good ooh. for what it had to. That should be covered. I would. I'll be down. That's not a bad pay per view. Well, I'm sure we can make some reservations for July. Um, going into the main event here, we had the World Heavyweight Championship in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Uh, Scott Steiner defending against Diamond Dallas Page. And this would be the last uh, world title match, um, I believe, for DDP, as he wouldn't receive another opportunity going um, forward, um, obviously transitioning into WWE. Good, fuck him. But I like how Scott Steiner finally brought a bit of stability to a title that was practically a joke in 2000. Um, not saying that Steiner was the best champion, but he basically, he did make that title somewhat relevant again during its dying days. And, you know, like some other matches tonight, um, it did start out very aggressively. I mean, they brought around the ring, um, they fought in the crowd, you had DDP coming out out of the crowd in his entrance, um, got the two on the elbow, um, through a table for the first big spot, a lot of big spots in this match here. Um, but not, not a, uh, not, not so much of a bad match. Let's okay. put it that way. Can we appreciate the facts that there was a random crippled guy <laughs> in the crowd standing away from that, like a few feet away from the crowd and that he just took his crutch. Was that like a Make-A-Wish thing? I want to be in a WCW pay-per-view. And they're like, all right, put him there. We'll steal his crutch and whack him with it. <laughs> oh, my I God. think it was a Make-A-Wish. Yeah. It might have been, yeah. It was probably a Make-A-Wish triple kid. Well, I agree. Man. Oh, man. Yeah, they're, they're like, where's little Jimmy get the stand? Yeah, just put him there. <laughs> <laughs> that made his That made his night. <laughs> Yeah. His final week of life, a good hurrah. <laughs> Wasn't there also another cameo in this match with Paul London? 
Yeah. Right. He, yeah, he was, a, he was in the front row, yeah. It was a very young Paul London that made a cameo in this match. Yeah. I did not see that. Yep. Ugh. It happened toward the end. Am I correct? Did it happen toward the end of the match? Oh, yeah. Somewhere around there. He was, uh, he was, near, the, he was near the ramp. Like, yes. just the, the hard camera ramp. Oh, okay. Mm. So, I wonder if he had any association with getting signed with WCW at that time. Oh, he was... He was marking out. He looked drunk as hell. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Maybe he was the Make-A-Wish kid. They you just sign him. <laughs> but um, sign I, that I like sign that idiot over there. Yeah, I love Paul London. The very underrated guy. Yes, he, him and the, I love the dad tag team they had. Uh, him, Paul London, and uh, Kendrick. Yeah, yes, Ryan Kendrick. That was that was fun. Yeah. yeah. And then he got like fired. And then he got fired for smiling like a geek <laughs> during the Vince McMahon death segment. You remember that? Yes. yes. Really for smile. It was in all these videos yeah. I've watched and all yeah. the yeah. It was really for smiling at Vince. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like, this is a joke. Like this is funny. I might as well make it. You know, laugh about it. Uh, I think it actually added to the segment. But yeah. you know what, what? What's so disappointing is you know we haven't really seen. Paul London make a resurgence into like any type any type of big um branded company in what's like he, years. Well what's he doing? Is he still wrestling? He's still wrestling. Um I I caught him a couple years back um here when Northeast Wrestling was promoting a show here. Um it was very weird though because he came out in like an astronaut suit and then he basically like took it off. Like he was I, I think that was just um Is he already you know, just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think that was just like a good represent, uh, like a representation of like his high flying ability. Like he okay. okay. <laughs> something like that. He should have worn it the entire match. But yeah, I've always liked Paul Bunch. Um, I liked his cruiserweight championship run. Um, I thought him teaming up with Billy Kidman in two thousand four. I thought that was a pretty good um uh, pairing there until Billy Kidman turned heel, and you know that was. Practically the only time I ever seen Billy Kidman as a heel coming out with the big robe jacket and just not giving a fuck. And I, I think he was going through a divorce with Tori Wilson at that time as well. So I, I can understand why he was a little cocked. Oh, but, man. Um, really? Poor guy. Poor guy. I don't yeah. remember this about Kidman, him being a heel and all that shit. And then yeah. he was going through a divorce. Freak. Freak. I, I'm not sure if you recall Freak, but it all started with... Uh, Billy Kidman hitting the shooting star press on Chavo Guerrero, and he landed on his head. Oh, there you go. Oh. oh. But, um, it's going back into... It's in, my, in, some, in the past, you know. So I'm gonna, yeah, but since I'm on a subject of Paul London, I, I know I've gotten an 8x10 of him in one of the many boxes that, you know, that are out there for wrestling fans. So I was happy for receiving that. So Yeah, it's yeah. sad. I mean Paul Paul London hasn't really been relevant in a long time. So like I, I'd love to see like a resurgence in some way. Would maybe as like a backstage maybe like a backstage producer for like AEW or something. I, I definitely wouldn't mind have him working for a new company. You know, it's been so long. No. But I wonder um, if he could still go. Like was he able to still go when you saw him in the ring? Was he still fucking amazing? Yeah. He, he was still capable of putting on a pretty good match. I mean, obviously his body was winding down, but he was still capable of performing some high-flying moves. 
Um, not as fast as he used to be, not as agile, but you know he can still keep up. Um, did he? Did he do a four fifty? Yes. Oh, oh. Right. That's impressive, then. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he can still do a 450. I, I think I recall him doing like a shooting star press as well. I think probably just paying homage to Kidman. Damn. There you go. Damn, dude. And the shit. That's impressive. I do, I, I do recall him appearing for some events for Pro Wrestling Gorilla as well. Um, other than that, I haven't heard of Paul London or at least the name in, you know, so long. You know, that's just something that's just stuck you know, stuck out in my childhood, you know, the name Paul London. You don't really hear it nowadays. But, um... Anyway, the, to, the thing about WCW... The thing yeah, about WCW, WCW is, you know, you got Scott Steiner wax uh, DDP with a pipe and then he puts him in the Steiner recliner. Um, <laughs> in this match, and retained the World Heavyweight Championship within a 15-minute uh, timeline. Uh, 15-minute. Um, I thought this was a very good main event. Uh, for the last pay-per-view, uh, I thought, you know, Scott really looked motivated, um, more motivated than he probably did in WWE, and um, DDP brought his usual stuff, you know, nothing new. I mean, DDP was already up there in age, so obviously his body was already winding down. He was probably already doing yoga at this point. Um, they didn't do a ton with the stipulation, and... The cheating just, you know, boarded on overdoing it without going too far. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was a pretty decent main event. And then, you know, the, the Steiners continue to, you know, beat down on Booker T um, during this. And that's, you know, wraps up WCW's last pay-per-view. Oh, I hate DDP. I hate DDP. Hey, nothing wrong with yoga. <laughs> oh no, yoga's great. It's just the DDP yeah. yoga can kiss it. Not wrong yoga though. But uh, well, we have a blood. Oh god, yeah, he botched that one. That was some. Oh man, that was a lot of blood. But um, but you know what? Now that I recall, I think DDP started doing yoga after his neck injury on SmackDown. Um, he took a soup uh, a superplex off the top from Hardcore Holly, and I think he landed on his neck wrong. And I think that's when he um, got released from the company a um, little while after that, and that's when he started doing yoga and getting into better shape, and I believe he made a wrestling comeback um, with TNA about like two years after. So he was semi-retired for a bit. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, I know, like, uh, Jericho said <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> I'll listen back, though. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Thanks for coming. Um, yeah, I'm happy, you know, I watched this, you know, to cover this. I was, it was great. Um, I do. Uh, the only young wrestlers I remember from, uh, I remember watching. Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare come into the company, and what was their? Do you remember their name? Like they were in a stable, am I right? Am I correct? Yeah, I, I believe it was the New Blood. Was it? Were they called the New Blood? And there was about seven of them. They were all. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think their tag team name was specifically the New Blood, but I. I know what you're talking about. It was Sean O'Hare, Chuck Palumbo, Mark Jindrak, yes. and um, somebody else. Yeah. 
four or five of them. I don't, I don't remember, but I remember seeing them come on, and there was a huge, you know, push behind them, and that was unfortunately. I was like not watching, paying attention, but uh, Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare always stuck out to me. And yeah. Gindrak, yeah, and Gindrak, because wasn't Gindrak supposed to be in uh, Evolution? Am I correct? Yep. Yeah, he was supposed to be in Evolution. Um, I know prior to that video package, they had already, you know, foreshadowed them being a group. Um, you know, Triple H, uh, Batista, Orton, and I think there was a point where they were second guessing on Batista, and Batista had a slight injury in two thousand three. So he was on the sidelines for a bit, and I think WWE was unsure. Um, so they decided to put Jindrak into like the promo videos for Evolution. Um, it was somewhere down the line, you know. Triple H realized that Orton and Jindrak weren't the best pairing together when being on the road, um, as Triple H basically just looked at Jindrak as a bad influence onto Orton. So they scratched that off. That's saying something. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's they basically just, you know, re-recruited Batista after he came back from injury. But um, that early, th well, that early test footage is out there. You can Jindrak yeah. uh, test footage, yeah. Yeah, right. it's yeah. odd. It, it's sad. <laughs> it doesn't I mean, work. I, I like Jindrak too as a performer. Um, obviously, he didn't really go too far um with the company i mean he was mainly on like velocity and sunday night heat um i know he was with a he was in a brief tag team with uh the late garrison cade um which i, I thought that was a pretty good tag team you know not not too bad um until they uh reintroduced the draft in 2004 uh mark jindrak was then drafted to smackdown he was known as the reflection of perfection uh, being managed by Teddy Long. I believe that was the last wrestler Teddy Long ever managed before transitioning into the GM role. And pretty much after that, Jindrak started teaming up with Angle and Luther Reigns. And that was pretty much the last time we ever heard of Jindrak. And I believe he um, ended up just going down to AAA. And that's where he spent most of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. All right. I listened to him on a podcast. I forgot whose podcast it was. Yeah, it was a while ago. I think it might have been Jericho's podcast, but maybe. Do we uh, have a letter grade? Well, before I get into the letter grade, I just want to reflect on this pay-per-view. Um, I ended up liking this pay-per-view um, a lot more than I expected. Um, there were several good matches, um, including the opener and the main event. Um, the Cruiserweight Tag Team match was easily the last great WCW match, and... You know, it's interesting to see how well most of this was booked. Um, WCW was clearly heading for something better in 2001, which, you know, indicating, as I brought up earlier, the, the Big Bang pay-per-view that was supposed to happen in May of 2001 in Las Vegas. Um, the tag team title squash match um, worked wonderfully. Uh, the Dusty tag was entertaining, and, you know, I dug the Cruiserweight match as well. Um, a good show with some high-quality booking decisions. Um, and the fun fact that there was no Hulk Hogan. So, yeah, fuck you, you ketchup mustard bastard. Jeez. <laughs> uh, 
what happened? What did Hulk Hogan do to you? Uh, there's, yeah. some deep, there's some deep-seated <laughs> hatred. If I want to give this a good letter grade, I'm going to give this an average C. Okay. I was going to I was going to go B minus. <laughs> I, I maybe I enjoyed it a little more than you did. <laughs> what? A lot more. No, <laughs> um, the, the only thing that I didn't like about this pay-per-view was the back-to-back segment. Like what was the point of seeing Dusty eating burritos in the back? Dude, <laughs> no sh- literally no shits were given here, all right? No, yeah, in, no pun intended. I mean, I mean, I mean, Dusty probably gave a shit later, but no shits were given. I did not care about that, and they were over. They kept overhyping these segments. You know, you had like Buff Bagwell with this fucking camera conducting <laughs> interviews with like Rick Steiner, and then you got Dusty and Dustin in the back with the burritos, and Rick Flair. You know, he he's ready to book his fight. He's like, I want to get the fuck out of here. I want to retire. I want to. I want to stay at home, collect my SSI, and then go work for the WWF once Survivor Series is over. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I'll. I'll be. I'll go with Dan and just give it a C. Uh, it's it just like I said. I dozed off while watching this, so, but. Yeah, I'll just give it a C, just to be kind. And, yeah, it's upsetting. It's WCW's last, you know, pay-per-view. Well, it was... It needed to be taken to the back and shot at this point. Yeah, you're right. It's like me and Gene said. Uh, dude, the dog was already dead. They're just shooting bullets into it for fun. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. But, anyway, guys, let's wrap this up. Um, if you guys haven't caught the latest episode of the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast, Rick and Andy conducted an interview with ROH superstar Shane Taylor. Um, very exciting interview. Please go check that out. And look forward to us when it comes to future content. We are expected to do a lot of good things, a lot of bigger things here in the year 2021. So, social media. JJ, you want to start first? Sure. You can follow me. On everything but Facebook, uh, at double J S I double N Z. That's JJ Sims. Um, type in the DVD freak and click it. I'm lazy. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you guys, you guys can find me on all forms of social media, but you can find me, especially on YouTube at Dan the Beast 94. So be sure to hit that subscribe button. Especially if you're going to be watching my channel and you're not subscribed. JJ, write it down for me. Subscribe. We dust the drugs off. Bring it up. Come on. Drum roll. Come on. Come on. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. What are you doing? Hit that button. And until next time, guys, this has been the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. Y'all have a great night.